Good morning, Saints. It's good to see all of you here this morning on this uh, beautiful day, this uh, beautiful world that our uh, Lord has created for us to, uh, to enjoy and to, uh, to receive the blessings of it. I, uh, I was thinking about those blessings here this morning, and you know, um, there's so many times, uh, brothers and sisters, that we... Um, we uh, don't uh, opportune ourselves, we don't take advantage of uh, those blessings and those gifts which the Lord uh, is offering to us. Uh, you know, it's kind of like having a, uh, a tool chest at your house and uh, you go to fix something. And uh, you look in there and you realize everything that you have, that uh, you, you forgot about all these tools, the wrenches and the screws and the wires and things that were in there. And that is uh, somewhat how it is, brothers and sisters, with our God, that he, uh, he's wanting to bless us and he's given uh, us uh, the uh, benefits in this church of several blessings, the ministering of angels, the um, uh, sweet spirit uh, that calms us, the comforter, the um, uh, administration by the priesthood and all of these things, and we don't we don't always take um, uh, uh, take advantage of those opportunities. So call upon the Lord while He is near and uh, praise His name. We uh, will continue in our worship, singing hymn 212 at the first uh, tune. great joy and privilege to gather this day into thy house on this Sabbath day, this day set aside for rest and to worship thee. And so it is, Father, it is our desire today, as each one has gathered in, to worship thee in spirit and in truth. And Father, we have so much to be thankful for, and we're so thankful for that rain that has fell upon this earth and that has nourished it and uh, even that newness of life of each living thing. And so it is, Father, we would ask that thy Holy Spirit might even fall upon each one here this day 
that they might be nourished and they might have that newness of life within them. And Father, I pray that you might be with my brother Mike as he uh, breaks that bread of life with us this day. May you uh, guide him, even that Holy Ghost, in those things which you would have him to say, that through this spirit that each one might benefit and profit from it. And so it is, Father, this is our desire. May you bless us. And these things we ask and pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, who is Jesus Christ. Amen. I believe we've all experienced or have seen times when people have been robbed or perhaps we've even been a victim of that act ourselves, perhaps. In the book of Malachi, we find recorded there this thought regarding robbery, if you will, in a different way. Uh, it seems that the folks or the people of that day, in his time, that Prophet Malachi spoke, were very reluctant to part ways with their offerings and their gifts and blessings that they had received. So, consequently, he he gave this bit of admit, admit, admonition, if you will, and we find in the third verse or third chapter, rather, of Malachi, speaking of of this thought. It's, he goes on to say, Even from the days of your fathers, ye have gone astray from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye say, Wherein have, shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed you? Or thee? in tithes and in offerings. Today we have an opportunity to share, if we are able, in some small way, to return just a portion of that, the gifts that we have received. And I believe that most of us here have received some gifts in some fashion and have the ability. So I would ask that you would reach, you would consider your actions, you would uh, do so humbly in a manner that would be pleasing to the Lord. So shall we pray now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for your blessings and all that you provide. We have been blessed in so many ways. We have already spoken to that already this morning. And you have given us so many gifts and talents. And in this hour, though, we have the ability to share just a portion of that which you have granted us. So may we all do so in a way, willingly, if we are able, give back a portion of the blessings you have given to each of us. Is our prayer now. And I would ask this blessing and favor in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
chosen for my scripture reading this morning. The book of John, the 11th chapter, and the 43rd verse. And when he had thus, and when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now you've uh, you've invoked the spirit of the Lord upon this service, and, and uh, I pray that He'll bless us according to that invocation. Audrey, thank you. The uh, the introit that you played was absolutely beautiful. I really appreciate it. I'd like to start out this morning by apologizing. Uh, my wife and I haven't been able to be here as much as we is our habit to be here. Uh, some of you don't know, my, uh, my son is, uh, is at our house and convalescing there from a severely broken ankle. Uh, <coughs> he's 50 years old, but he's still my baby boy. <laughs> There's a couple more months that, uh, that he'll be recovering, so... Bear with us. We'll uh, we'll be back at some point in time. One of the things that I've learned again in His presence is something that I've always known. And I'm going to start this morning with a little bit of a song. I'm not going to sing it. It's one that you're all familiar with. And that's Jesus Loves Me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so, for the three books tell me so, for the scriptures tell me so, I know that Jesus loves me. But even beyond that, I know that He loves me. Because He's demonstrated that love for me, just as He's demonstrated it for you. He demonstrated it in His life. 
But more than that, He demonstrated His love for us in His death on the cross. But even beyond that, I know that Jesus loves me because He continues to reveal Himself to me. He continues to reveal His love for me on a daily basis. Throughout my life, I've been aware of the revealment of His love for me and for you and for all mankind. So who is this Jesus Christ? Before He became man, John tells us that He was the Word. The Word of God. In order to understand Him before He became man, we have to understand a little bit about this God. Again, John tells us in the first book of John, God is love. And that's all He is. Need He be more? We can study, we can philosophize, we use all kinds of theology to find out the characteristics of God and all of those other characteristics are born, are rooted in the fact that He is love. In First John, He also tells us that God is light. And that light that is God, that we know is the same light that curses through your body and gives you life, it curses through the entire universe and brings life to this world, to this earth. That same light is the light of God. And it comes to us because love that is not perceived is not really love. It's insignificant. It has to be perceived. It has to be perceived. And the only way that it can be perceived is as if it is revealed. God, who is love, shows His love by revealing His love. He reveals it By creating. I know some of you are going to think, boy, he's lost his marbles. He's jumped right off in the deep end and now he's floundering. Bear with me for a few moments. I'll, I'll get out of the pool here in a few minutes and dry off and, and we'll come back to not quite so deep. God reveals himself in his creation. He doesn't have to reveal Himself to anything or to anybody. He can reveal Himself to Himself. Just like an artist. Some of you I know are artistic. <clears throat> My wife is extremely artistic. Me, not so much. My art is in my words. I'm a poet. I write a little bit of music. I'm enjoying that. In those things, I reveal something of me. Not to the extent that God reveals Himself in His creation, but something of me is in those things that I create. My wife creates things all the time that she knows nobody will ever see. But... 
in those things, in those flowers, there is a little bit of her in each and every one. Those of you who create things, who are artistic, who create things, know that you create those things. How did God say it? For my pleasure, they were created. For my own purpose, they were created. And so God reveals Himself. And man needed a revealment of God because he was given his choice, his agency. And so, the Word of God that was with him from the beginning, let me hold here for just a minute. Imagine for yourself the power of that love, that unimpeded, undiluted, unopposed love. The power that's resident in that love. All things are... Think of how many universes there have been discovered. Universe after universe after universe have been discovered. God created those. What great power is in that unopposed, unimpeded, unrestricted love. That's our destination. That's where we should be striving to get to that power of that love. The power of our own love. I know that you've seen that too. When you've expressed love, unadulterated love, you've seen the power that resident in that love. I said unopposed love, but I want you to know and understand there's something that... Uh, that we kind of don't understand sometimes. I think I never paid much attention to it. You know, in Genesis, God says that His only beloved, His only begotten Son was with Him from the beginning. That's His Word. That's Jesus. The only begotten Son of God. Think about that for a minute. He begot all of you before any man was ever on the earth. He begot your spirits. But He didn't beget those. He created those. God, or Christ, was His only begotten Son. In other words, He was part of God. He was His Word. And He begot Him. He also says, in the third chapter of Genesis, he says this, he says, And I, the Lord God, spake unto Moses, say, remember now, Moses is hearing the voice of God. Now God speaks in celestial language. We don't understand God's language. We perceive it and we try to transpose it and write it. And that's how we've got our scriptures. The Word of God. But he says here, And I, the Lord God, spake unto Moses, saying, That Satan whom thou hast commanded in the name of mine only begotten. Remember, he had told Satan to depart from him. Moses told Satan to, get, to, depart, to depart from him. He did that in the 22nd chapter of the Doctrine and Covenants and in the preface to the, to the inspired version. That Satan whom thou hast commanded in the name of mine only begotten is the same which was from the beginning. There's opposition in all things. There must be opposition in all things. And here's God, love, creating all of this great power. Just think of the power resident in the love of God in order that He could create the things that He's created. And Satan was from the beginning. He wasn't with God from the beginning, but he was from the beginning because he is the opposite, the opposition to love. What's the opposite, opposite of love? Hate. There's opposition in everything. Push, pull. Hot, cold. Opposition, everything. 
So he reveals himself. He reveals himself. And every time I say himself, think of the word love. Because that's what he is. He reveals love. Himself. God. He reveals it to man. So that we can choose. So that we can make our choice. I certainly wouldn't be able to get through an entire sermon without reading from Apostle Oakman. Apostle Oakman says, The power of the kingdom is the power of love. The weakness of the beast is the strength of pride. The power of love has been in the world from the beginning. For it was made by God in order that beings of a celestial nature might inherit it. That's us. God loves us not because we are lovable so much as the fact that He is love and works with us in order that our own nature might be changed and we be transformed into the kind of creatures in whom we can find reflection of His own nature. There is no rest for God until this is accomplished. But the power of love to win answering love in the hearts of men cannot be completed until it had been revealed in its fullness. So in the midst of the course of time, God Himself came down here on the earth. He emptied Himself of His glory and veiled Himself in flesh. He took all that wicked men could do to Him and defeated it in His own person on the tree. The kingdom of God rests in love. The kingdom of this world rests on pride. But the kingdom of this world are not left without a witness. They are not abandoned by their maker. The holy city hovers above them and its influence reaches down among men. And the truth, which is that love is the ultimate ruling power of the universe and immortality means love and vice versa, the truth tolls forth from age to age. And so, to really fully understand this Jesus Christ, let's go to his gospel. Again, in the book of John 3.16. Christ's gospel is written in great detail in different sections, different portions of the scriptures. We can read it in, in, the third, in third Nephi in the Book of Mormon. Uh, there's other places in the Bible that has this gospel. But it's no, in no place is it more clear or succinct than in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. How could He do anything else? It was His creation. He was revealed in it. It was Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He gave. His only begotten Son. The gift. A gift to us. The revealment of God. He gave it to us. Now, this same Christ is the one who raised Lazarus Lazarus from the grave. Another revealment of His love. Now, sometimes we think of this story as just that. Christ raised Lazarus from the dead because he loved him. There are some things hidden in this story, and sometimes we skip over. He had at first told his disciples. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, and I go to awake him. And the disciples, being much like us, I assume, I would think, much like me, let me me put it that way, thought, well, if he's just sleeping, 
then he'll wake himself and he'll be okay. And I can just imagine Christ rolling his eyes when those disciples said that. Because then he said, Lazarus is dead. Very plainly, he told them that. And he goes on, and this is the important part. He says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Twelve men, highest among any of the believers in Jesus Christ. And here's Jesus telling them that I have a purpose for not being there to keep Lazarus from dying. And that purpose is so that you will believe. And then Martha runs out to meet him as he's on his trip. It's not very far. So Martha runs out to meet Jesus on the way. And she cries out, Master, if you had been here, he would not have died. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection and the life. So he's hinting to her right then and there that she need not be concerned. And he says, He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he asks her this pertinent question. Believe thou this? So now he's testing Martha's belief. Mary runs out to him. Jesus said, and she says the same thing. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And he says, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Now start thinking to yourselves, what is he getting at here? What is Christ now is talking to all of these people about their belief in him. So he's getting at something. Now they took away the stone. And Christ offers a prayer. And he starts telling us now what his intention is here. He says, And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, and there were many who had followed Mary and Martha to the the grave. There were many who were standing by. And he says, But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. This was Jesus Christ announcing to the world that I am the Son of God. And I am here to prove to you that I am the Son of God. And this is going to start the end of me. He's come to the point, up until now, he has not published himself. He has not put it out across all of Jerusalem, all of of Galilee, all of Israel. He has not published it yet that he is the Christ. And now he is saying, so that these people believe that I was sent. And he calls Lazarus. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. After four days in the tomb, Lazarus comes forth. And so it began his march to Golgotha. 
Because it goes on here, and just right now, it says, first of all, it says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things that Jesus did believed on Him. They're convinced now. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What shall we do for this man doeth many miracles? If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. So these guys didn't want to lose their control over their congregations, their wealth, their position. And so... Caiaphas, the high priest at the time, says better that one man should die than a whole nation. Now, it was several months ago, I think it was Scott Nixon that came here and he had mentioned Lazarus at the time. And since that time, this call... Lazarus, come forth, has been ringing in my ears. I haven't been able to get away from it. I knew as soon as I had heard that at that time that I was going to have to put it in my next time that I spoke. I knew that I had to speak about it. Lazarus, come forth. And several hymns came to my mind at that time. 351, I can hear the Savior calling. How about Jesus calls us or the tumult? I heard the voice of Jesus say. And I thought to myself, What if Jesus said to me, Michael, come forth. Because he knows that I'm sleeping. I know that he would say, Michael, come forth. Awake from your slumber and procrastination and set about to perform the tasks that I have required of you. Michael, come forth. In our devotions from the 1970 uh, Daily Bread, I had one. It was entitled, With Heart and Hand. It says, while working at the arduous task of aligning my erring soul to glorify my God, a disquieting spirit troubles me. What am I doing about my fellow man? The perplexed individual, the frightened child, the transgressor drowsing in the gutter, the dumb, the halt, the lame, the blind, need the loving hand clasp of a friend to give them hope and renewed faith. The depressed, the beauty-starved, the lonely ones need someone to hold a candle high and light their faltering steps. But I am weak. Often I fail to tell of my blessings. I get bored at women's meetings, miss church, lose my temper, criticize. My purse is lean, my wisdom scant, and failure taunts me daily, yet I cherish a holy trust. This one gift I can share the love which the Christ has shared with me. The great acts are for more gifted souls. I shall be content in the life beyond. I can meet with friends of any creed or color 
with whom on earth I shared a pain-rived hour or a vision on a mountaintop. Can you hear him? Can you hear him calling, come forth? What if he were to stand here and speak to you today? Would he say, my little flock, come forth? Would he say, awake to the many varied and focused opportunities that have been offered to you to express your love for all? Would he say, purify your hearts and your minds as you zealously perform your good works? And perhaps he would say, all who call yourselves mine, come forth and gather together in unity to repent and to move out boldly in the building of my kingdom. And my holy prophet, come forth. Awaken your senses to the magnificence of your calling and prepare to lead my church in these last days. And my bride, my church, come forth. Emerge once again from the wilderness and arise to the task of causing my Zion. And to the beautiful, beautiful Zion, come forth, arise, and put on your beautiful garments. Prepare yourself for my presence and be the final revealment of my love. In 1915, the June 25th issue of the Saints Herald, there was an article entitled, A Strong City. It was written by Brother Albert A. Smith. Some of you have probably heard him, heard of him. Of course, in writing about a strong city, he was writing about the city of Zion. And he says the first step is to become pure. He goes on to say, true, the new earth will be crowned with the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. Yet, Enoch and his people did not wait for that distant day, nor did they wait until the crossing of the veil had been accomplished for them. They didn't wait until they died. He goes on, he says, Nor need we wait. Men will not be worthy of the beautiful city who have not tried to build it here. At the conference of 1860, that conference where the church was reorganized, and Joseph Smith III stepped forward to take his place as prophet, seer, and revelator of the church. He offered at that meeting a general epistle. And this is how it went. He said, I would not that men should hastily run without tidings, nor do I ask that any should place the stake of their salvation upon an earthly arm. 
Cursed is he that putteth his trust in man and maketh flesh his arm. I ask and desire that all may place their stake of salvation upon the author and finisher of our faith, upon the promises and principles of the gospel, pure as preached from the Savior's lips, for in him was no guile, and in his teachings there was no deceit. In the name of the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, I now call upon all the scattered saints, upon all the broad earth to arise and shake off the sleep that hath bound them these many years. Take on the armor of the just, calling on the name of the Lord for help, and unite once more for the emancipation of the honest in heart from the power of false doctrines and the shackles of sin. In the name of bleeding Zion, I call upon all those who have been wandering in by and forbidden paths and have been led astray by wicked and designing men to turn from their scenes of wickedness and sins of convenience, to turn from their servitude to Satan in all his seductive devices, from vice in every phase, from the labor of sin, the wages whereof are ever death, unto their true and delightsome allegiance to the principles of the gospel of peace, to the paths of wisdom, to the homage of that God that brought the children of Israel out of bondage, to turn and remember the new covenant, even the book of Mormon, to lay hold anew upon the rod of iron which surely leads to the tree of life, to remember that those who live to the Lord keep His commandments, and that the promises are unto the faithful and the reward unto those that endure unto the end. And in the name of the Lord of hosts, I call upon all the inhabitants of the earth to repent, believe, and be baptized, for the time cometh when the judgments of God are to be poured out upon all nations, and the besom, the broom of God's wrath, shall smoke through the land. When men shall know that there is a God in Israel, and He is mighty to punish or to save, that the prayers of those under the altar have been heard, and a swift retribution is to come, when the despoiler will be despoiled, when those who denied justice shall be judged, and the measure meted unto others shall be meted unto them, when the prisoner shall go free, the oppressed be redeemed, and all Israel shall cry, Glory to God in the highest be given, for he that is long-suffering and slow to anger has arisen and shall bring again Zion. Amen and amen. My beautiful, beautiful Zion, come forth. O Zion, haste. Amen.
Father, we come to you at the end of this service and with this benediction, thankful for the time that we get to have here, thankful for uh, the pre-morning worship and the classes and the words that you placed on Mike's heart to share with us. We ask, Lord, that you provide the spirit that is here with us now throughout the week until we can gather again. Provide us the opportunities to uh, spread your word and to show your love to others that you have shown to us. We are so thankful, Lord, to gather here and we uh, um, live in anticipation of gathering again. But we um, strive to build your kingdom here on earth, Lord. Again, Lord, thank you for those blessings that you've bestowed upon us. And we look forward to the week to come. And we say these things in Jesus Christ's most heavenly name. Amen. Thank you.